KSGF Mornings with Nick Reed. I am Dr. John Lilly filling in for Nick Reed, who is taking this week off. You are listening to Springfield's Talk 104.1. We talked a little bit about the naturalization questions. Uh, This hour, I'm going to get into a lot about the uh, COVID-19 and a number of aspects of that. Uh, But first... We are going to hear the news from Color 10 and Fox 49. The KTTS first alert forecast from Color 10, Fox 49 meteorologist Tom Schmidt. Today, mostly cloudy with a 50% chance of light snow, high 35. Tonight, a 40% chance of snow with minor accumulations, low 30. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a chance of sprinkles and flurries throughout the day, high 39, Friday, mostly cloudy, high 40. I want to talk a little bit about COVID, a lot of bit, about COVID this hour. COVID was, it was, it had a lot of very unusual features. Uh, When it was, it came out of a lab in Wuhan, China. Wuhan is not a little bitty town. It is a city of 11 million people. And one of the unusual things about COVID that they found out pretty early is there are a lot of people that get it that have no symptoms, yet they're infective and they can spread the virus to other people. There was a... uh, cruise ship shortly after COVID really got started. There was a cruise ship from Japan and COVID broke out on this cruise ship. So they quarantined the cruise ship, had a bunch of people go on the cruise ship, tested everybody, got a lot of information. And they found that half of the people that tested positive for COVID had no symptoms whatsoever. And they found this in in numerous other research uh, papers that were done. So that was one of the interesting things about COVID. Also, it hit primarily the elderly with comorbid conditions. Elderly people that had heart disease, diabetes, um, cancer, uh, emphysema. Uh, The younger people especially children, were hardly affected at all. When COVID first hit, there were a lot of databases that had statistics from all over the world and all over the United States on how many people were infected, how many people died, and they kept updating that. Um, One of the things that came out of the Chinese uh, CDC equivalent was that when the uh, COVID got out of the lab, approximately 5 million Chinese were exposed to it and left Wuhan in the months before that. So 5 million people that were infected went someplace else. So I looked at 
some cities, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Honolulu, looked at how many people were infected and the per capita infected and the deaths per capita. And then compared that because New York was just terrible. Everybody was going to the hospital and dying in New York, it seemed like. So this was done on June 18, 2020. So COVID had been uh, officially around since March when, it, when the pandemic was declared. So this was just about four months later. In New York, there were over 200,000 infected and 22,000 deaths. In Los Angeles, there were 77,000 infected and almost 3,000 deaths. In San Francisco, there were only 3,000 infected and only 47 deaths. And in Honolulu, there were only uh, 526 infected and 11 deaths. So I looked at the infected per capita and then the deaths per capita and compared that to New York. So the infected per capita... Uh, if New York was 100%, Los Angeles was 77%, San Francisco was 13.6%, Honolulu was 6.2%. If you look at the deaths per capita, with New York being 100%, Los Angeles was 28.4%, San Francisco was 2%, and Honolulu was 1.2%. So I thought, you know... What, why is it like that? Well, it turns out 21% of the citizens of San Francisco are Chinese descent. So how many of those 5 million people traveled to San Francisco, got other people infected, it went through the San Francisco community, and they developed herd immunity before the virus really took hold there? So we'll talk about that a little more right after this break. This is KSGF Mornings with Nick Reed. I'm Dr. John Lilly filling in for the vacationing Nick Reed who's taking this week off. I was talking about the coronavirus statistics and why San Francisco had such a low death rate relative to other large metropolitan areas. And I think it was because they have a 21% of their population is Chinese or uh, Chinese origin. And because COVID had so many people that had no symptoms and 5 million infected people left Wuhan before they shut the, the city down, I think that there were a number of people from Wuhan that were infected, traveled business or pleasure to San Francisco, got people in San Francisco infected early in the in 2019, and then those people developed a herd immunity. And what's a herd immunity? What am I? What do I mean by a herd immunity? Well, if you have a uh, population of 100 individuals and five of them have had any particular virus, when a virus is introduced into the community, it's a pretty good chance if you have not had the virus before, you're going to get it 
you're going to get the virus. If out of 100 people, 95% have had the virus and have recovered from it, and there's only five people that didn't have the virus, they are protected because the virus is not going to spread among the people that have already had that virus. It takes some type of mutation before the virus will then spread in the people that have already had the virus. That's the way the immune system works. So that's called herd immunity. You get a large number of people If most of them already have immunity, then the few that don't have immunity are automatically protected. And I think that's what happened in San Francisco. I never heard anyone in the national or even local media talk about that. But I just thought that was interesting. Now, there is one of the other things about COVID is the adverse events. There's been a lot of discussion about COVID's adverse events. There is even the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They have a website, and there are several databases on that website. One of them is Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting Database. This contains information on their essentially unverified reports of adverse events, but the reports cannot be just submitted by anyone. They have to be signed. There is a document that has to be signed by a physician, and a physician has to put in uh, some extensive documentation to, to show why they believe that this event is due to the vaccine. So is it possible to die from being vaccinated? Yes, it is. Although it's extremely rare, since 2000, the deaths due to influenza, in, uh, seasonal influenza vaccines on the VAERS database have ranged from 12 to 42 with an average of 29 per year. The deaths due to pneumococcal vaccines average 51 per year. The federal government set up a National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program to cover the costs of people who have adverse events due to the vaccine. So I went there and looked at the COVID-19 vaccines and the seasonal influenza vaccines. So to make a valid comparison, you have to look at, I looked at two different Uh, time frames, but they are similar. So we will get back and talk a little bit more about this right after this commercial break. This is KSGF Mornings with Nick Reed. I'm Dr. John Lilly filling in for the vacationing Nick Reed. This is Springfield's Talk 104.1. We're talking about the COVID adverse events And I did a little evaluation on the Adverse Event website. And I used two different time periods. I compared COVID vaccine with the seasonal influenza vaccine. And the time period for the flu vaccine went from the week of August 14, 2020 to the week of March 4, 2021. For the COVID, I used 
the monthly data from August 2020 to February 2021. Uh, because, of, uh, because the COVID vaccine didn't start until December 2020, I had to use a different range for the two data sets. But uh, there were 193 million seasonal influenza doses administered during its time period and 206 million COVID doses administered during that time period. So I looked at four outcomes, death, hospitalization, deep venous thrombosis, which is a blood clot in the leg, and spontaneous abortion, which is a pregnancy miscarriage. That's a scientific term. So I looked at the VAERS database for these four events and compared the seasonal flu with COVID. And the number of deaths because of COVID was 1,769. The deaths due to the seasonal flu was 33. If you look at a per-shot comparison, there were 50 times, the ratio is 50 to 1. There were 50 times the deaths due to COVID compared to the seasonal flu. For hospitalizations, the ratio was 33 to 1. For deep venous thrombosis, which is the blood clot in the leg, there were 420 for the COVID shots. There were none for the seasonal flu shots. So you can't even make a comparison because you can't divide by zero. Uh, the miscarriages, there were 248 with the COVID shots and only four with the seasonal flu shots. So that's a 58 to 1 ratio. So that just didn't seem right. Uh, something was really wrong. Why are COVID, uh, the death rate, other events, you know, 30 to 50 times what the seasonal flu shot is? So a lot of people have looked into that. And there was one of the gentlemen who uh, is one of the experts on it is Dr. Peter McCullough. And he has testified before Congress numerous times. There is also Congress had a select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic. And I looked up that report. And let me read some of the information from <clears throat> the conclusions in the report. On January 31, 2020, Dr. Fauci suggested directly to Dr. Anderson uh, draft a paper regarding the possible leak, lab leak of COVID-19. <clears throat> Dr. Fauci wanted warned that if Dr. Anderson determined COVID-19 was a result of a lab leak, then he would need to contact law enforcement. The next day, February 1, this time on a conference call with 11 international scientists, and including Dr. Collins and Dr. Uh, Tayback, Dr. Fauci again suggested drafting a paper regarding a possible lab leak. 
It was these two suggestions that prompted Dr. Anderson to begin drafting. A draft of what would become proximal origin was completed within hours. The stated goal of proximal origin, the paper suggested and prompted by Dr. Fauci, was to disprove the lab leak theory. They got together and came up with this proximal origin theory, which rested on three main arguments. The presence of a non-optimal and uh, RBD, and that RBD, which is one of the viruses, appeared in other viral sequences, particularly panglobins, and the presence of furin cleavage sites in other coronaviruses, and the concept that any laboratory manipulation would have used an already published viral backbone. Each of these arguments is flawed and rests upon unsupported assumptions. So when it came time to publish, Dr. Collins gave his approval for publication, and he said he was very happy with the final project. At first, the journal Nature rejected proximal origin because it did not discount the lab leak strong enough. To ensure publication in Nature nature Medicine, the authors claimed that no laboratory-based scenario was plausible, fulfilling Nature's critique and attempting to kill the lab leak hypothesis. After publication, proximal origin was used to downplay the lab leak hypothesis and call those who believed it, uh, it may be true conspiracy theorists. Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins tracked the paper through Uh, review and publication process, and finally, Dr. Collins expressed dismay when proximal origin did not successfully kill the lab leak theory. He subsequently asked Dr. Fauci if there was anything more he could do. The next day, Dr. Fauci directly cited proximal origin from the White House. So, this subcommittee, this long report is all of the emails, letters, communications between all these different uh, members of the government, some scientists, other people, to come up with a, uh, a plausible alternative to a lab leak hypothesis. And they essentially came up with... Um, something where they could not display this lab leak hypothesis. We are going to a commercial break, and we'll continue this right after these messages. Springfield's Talk 1041, the first alert forecast from Cullerton and Fox 49's meteorologist Tom Schmidt, sponsored by Wolfpack Cleaners, your residential and commercial cleaning professionals. Today, we have mostly cloudy skies with a 50-50 chance of light snow with a high of 35. Tonight, a 40% chance of snow with minor accumulations and a low of 30. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a chance of sprinkles and flurries throughout the day with a high near 39. And on Friday, most 
mostly cloudy with a high near 40. Currently in Springfield, it is partly cloudy and 29. And real quick, I want to talk to you about the Pyramid Roofing Company. Now, we've had some pretty crummy weather over the last couple of days with a lot of rain. And if you notice that your gutters uh, are just not keeping up with the rain, or maybe you've noticed some more serious issues like yellowing on your ceiling or even full-blown leaks, you don't have to wait until spring to have your roof looked at. And I recommend Josh with the Pyramid Roofing Company for all of your roofing needs. Now, I recommend the team because they just did a great job with all of my roofing needs from new decking to new shingles and gutters. I really needed it all. And the Pyramid team, they made the process just incredibly simple. And they were even actually able to help with some design as well. I was able to add a tin roof on the back deck and the sunroom, which I've always wanted so I could listen to the rain. And I just I couldn't be happier with the work they did. So if you have noticed some roofing issues or maybe you even want a roof inspection to make sure that your roof is winter wet, winter ready there we go i highly recommend josh with the pyramid roofing company you can give him a call today and you can find all of that contact information under the sarah's endorsements tab at ksgf.com this is ksgf mornings with nick reed i'm dr john Lilly, filling in for the vacationing nick reed this is springfield's talk 104.1 if you want to uh, i'm going to be talking about covid and uh, if you want to call or text, you can use the American Transmissions Talk and Text Line 4475743. We did have somebody text in uh, stating that he and his wife got two of the, I think it was the Moderna, uh, Pfizer. the Pfizer shots, and then got uh, TIAs several months, both of them got TIAs several months after they got the shot. A TIA is a transient ischemic attack. It's not quite a stroke because it will, um, you get back your full uh, working potential. It, it's Nothing becomes permanent. So that's the difference between a stroke and a TIA. But they got him and his wife had several of these. Um, that's not unusual. Uh, there were a lot of things about uh, SARS. Uh, the SARS-CoV, it's actually SARS-CoV-2 is the COVID-19, the correct designation. There was uh, some information from uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, who is an internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist, uh, has had numerous things publicized. He was a speaker at a convention I was at in October, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, that published a home COVID guide, treatment guide, uh, when COVID first hit. And Dr. McCullough uh, helped uh, write and uh, correct anything in that. He helped, he helped write that document. Uh, he's one of the absolute experts in COVID. He's testified numerous times uh, in uh, Congress and numerous um, state uh, legislators, uh, legislative uh, meetings. There was a letter in Nature Medicine in December of 2015 talking about how uh, they have got the they got the spike protein the backbone of it 
um, to they did some gene reverse genetics system and they generated the spike protein that they could put in uh, they actually put it in I think it was mouse virus in mouse in the mouse lung uh, with notable pathogenesis so they replicated the spike protein in the SARS-CoV backbone and put it in mice and and they got the virus so they were they were playing around with the covid virus years ago and this is this really is a new biological product and he's written, Dr. McCullough has written numerous articles about um, new biological products demand safety and uh, tests that to ensure their safety. Some of the clinical concerns on the vaccines that were developed, the mRNA, which is the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, and the adenoviral DNA, which was a Johnson & Johnson vaccine, induce production of the spike protein. <clears throat> it is in cells, tissue, and organ endothelial uh, linings, and they damage all of that. The spike protein is found in body fluids and donated blood. There was no genotoxicity, teratogenesis, teratogenicity uh, or oncogenicity studies. That is um, gene transmission, abnormal uh, results, and cancer results. Uh, concerning ovarian biodistribution study, there was a concerning reduced fertility study by Moderna. There was no uh, events adjudicated committee or data safety monitoring board um, committee that oversaw the production of these vaccines. Uh, there were no restrictions of properly excluded groups from the randomly controlled trials like pregnant women, women of childbearing potential COVID survivors previously immune. There was no risk stratification for hospitalization and death. There was no data transparency. There was no mitigation for risks of public safety. There were no assurances of long-term safety. So we're going to look at a little bit of the safety review after these messages. This is... KSGF Mornings with Nick Reed. I'm Dr. John Lilly filling in for Nick Reed, who is taking a few days off. Been talking about COVID. Um, looking at the uh, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, I've got some nice graphs. This was uh, from Science, Public Health Policy, and Law in September of 2021. They looked at the total VAERS reports per year 
from 2011 to 2021, and it was 25,000, 26,000, 29,000, 34, 44, 45, 38, 49, 48, 49, and then in 2021, it was 471,000, a tenfold increase. If you look at the reported deaths per year, it was in the hundreds uh, from 2010 to 2020. It jumped in 2021 to 6,639. So that ought to tell you something. VAERS uh, uh, COVID vaccine advent, adverse events reported there were... 988,705 reports through September 29, 2023. There were 18,000 deaths, 87,000 hospitalizations, 117,000 urgent care visits, 196,000 doctor office visits, uh, 2,463 cases of anaphylaxis. That's where you quit breathing. Uh, 600 or 6,261 cases of Bell's palsy. They looked at the the death from the date of onset, and there were 1,150 Americans have died on the same day they took the COVID-19 vaccine. That goes up to a little above 1,200 on day one, down to just below 600 on day two a little below 400 on day three, uh, about 300 on day four, and then it tapers off down to about 100 uh, a day for, you know, the first 21 days. Uh, What type of events can you have? The first one is cardiovascular. You can have accelerated atherosclerosis, that's hardening the arteries in the heart. You can have a heart attack. You can have a stroke. Another one they had a lot of was myocarditis. The uh, cardiac muscle would get inflamed. Lethal arrhythmias, cardiac arrest. And there you think about DeMar Hamlin on the um, Buffalo Bills team had a heart attack in the middle of a game. Heart rate and blood pressure problems, neurologic problems, hemorrhagic stroke, that's where you bleed, Uh, neuropsychiatric and neurodegenerative diseases, seizures, peripheral neuropathy. That means that's where you can't feel your uh, your fingers and the the toes. Uh, Blood clots, immune blood disorders, multi-system inflammatory disorders. So that was some of the stuff that the COVID caused. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, in less than 90 days on the market, Pfizer notified, uh, uh, was notified of 1,223 deaths and 1,291 adverse events uh, of interest. The FDA attempted to, uh, to in court, to block the public release of the information for 55 years. Oh, gosh. Yes, uh, uh, Dr. 
McCullough had a lot of information at this uh, conference that I went to. Uh, we even had a statement in our magazine wanting to halt all of the vaccines and withdraw them from the market. So some of the unsupportable claims uh, prevent infection with current strains, stop transmission, reduce hospitalization and death, and prevent outbreaks or reoccurrences. There was also a pivot from early therapy for high-risk COVID patients. There was a lot of information about hydrochloroquine, uh, ivermectin, uh, provoiodine nasal rinses that were helping a lot of people. And initially, the government had, I think, a stockpile of 22 million doses of hydrochloroquine. Once they started into, oh, we got to have a vaccine for it, that was shoved aside. And we said, oh, we got to put everything in getting this vaccine. So uh, we even, the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, even put together a home-based treatment guide. And if you took... Uh, hydrochloroquine or ivermectin. One of the things there was that there was a whole series, like a five to ten day uh, regimen that you had to take. If you took that as soon as you started having any symptoms, it significantly lowered any complications. Uh, one of the things that it wasn't it wasn't hydrochloroquine that decreased the transmission. It was zinc. Hydrochloroquine was used to help get the zinc into the cells. So one of the things you had to take along with the hydrochloroquine was large amounts of zinc. And it's the zinc that actually slowed down the virus and delayed the transmission. Uh, the hydrochloroquine was just a way to get that into the cells. So, by December 2020, there was clear and convincing evidence that early therapy was reducing COVID-19 hospitalizations and deaths. We're going to talk a little bit more of this right after these breaks. This is KSGF Mornings with Nick Reed. I am Dr. John Lilly filling in for the vacationing Nick Reed. We've been talking about covid and we'll talk about COVID for a little bit afterwards. And then the, the last hour, I'm going to read some of my old columns that I wrote when I was uh, a contributor to the newsletter back from 2010 to 2014. Um, some of those I came across them lately, and I had saved a printed copy of them and came across a bunch of those. And there was one that kind of talked about the wokeness. There was different wording, but it was the the wokeness. And I kind of, and in it I kind of said, well that'll never happen. So, so I was wrong about that. A little bit of some conclusions about the whole COVID problem. And this is from uh, Dr. David McCullough's uh, presentation at the 
Association of American Physicians and Surgeons Conference this past October. He said the pandemic response has been a global disaster. The safety profile and expected serious adverse events after COVID-19 vaccinations are well characterized. Limitations of theoretical efficacy have evolved over time. Pre-hospital phase uh, is a therapeutic opportunity for acute COVID-19. And censorship and reprisal are working to crush freedom of speech, scientific discourse, and medical progress. There are numerous reports of physicians that are using off-label hydrochloroquine and ivermectin uh, to treat COVID and now are being uh, penalized by regulatory boards in their specialty or in state licensing boards to try to get their certifications removed. Uh, you know, this is just unbelievable. Here are, are patients or doctors that are saving patients' lives, and now because of the bureaucracy of the COVID 19, they're getting penalized and their livelihood is getting threatened. So it's been a, uh, a really mixed bag on the whole COVID-19 uh, problems. Uh, one of the things that there was a, a recent paper that was in uh, this quarter's journal of the uh, American physician and surgeon, the COVID debacle merging criminal law and medical science for accountability. And it was talking about how the um, spike protein is creating prions in the brain. The prions are... Um, little proteins that you can't get rid of. They are self-replicating and they cause uh, deposits within the brain. And they think that is what is causing Alzheimer's disease. Uh, And once you get that spike protein, it's hard to get rid of it. And it's in just about every cell in your body. Um, so I think in the next few years, there's going to be a lot of research that comes out about maybe some even worse effects of the COVID vaccines. So this next, next hour, I'm going to switch a little and talk about some of my old newsletter columns. It was kind of fun to to do those news. I was the only conservative. There was somebody that some people at newsletter asked, you know, hey, have you got do you know any conservatives? And somebody gave him my name, so I went and talked to him. I said, okay, we'll give you a try. And I was there for about three and a half years and then they fired me. So <laughs> we'll we'll go over some of my columns in this next hour. When did when did you write these? Uh 2010 to 2014. Well, I'm really excited. I don't think I've ever read any of them before. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm ready for this segment. Good. 